Welcome, everyone. Um, whether you're joining us on Zoom today or you're on Facebook Live or YouTube, welcome. My name is uh, Danielle and my pronouns are she, her. Um, so this is Inclusive Gathering Birmingham. And um, today we've been, we've been kind of experimenting with meeting in a variety of ways. Uh, since lockdown, we've been largely online and we've done most of our gatherings kind of with this pre-recorded thing, then followed by a, a Zoom. Um, we've recently started to do, a, on the first Sunday of each month, a live and in-person gathering that we're live streaming. So um, the next one of those is next week. And then we do gatherings like this sometimes where we do everything live on Zoom. And so some people have joined us in person, um, not in person, some people have joined us on Zoom, and then others of us are watching online. So welcome, whichever way you're doing that. Um, if you've been here before, you've often, you've probably heard me often refer to us as a, as a learning community. And by that, we mean um, we're always open to new ideas and to changing up things that aren't working or um, just, you know, hearing from people what they need. And so um, you might've noticed that today we were, we were meant to be having a, more of one of our book club discussions about God is not a white man by Jenny McDonald. And um, we're going to show a clip of that later on, but we realized that It'd be really helpful to have something that was a broader kind of discussion today and to make some space for one another to sit into this idea of hope, particularly at this time where we're in these weird in-between stages of life in lockdown versus life opening up and there's still some question marks over how things can look and work and how we find our way in the world together. And so that's what we're going to be doing today is focusing um, on, on hope. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit later on from some of my my personal story and perspective. But uh, again, if you haven't been with us before, I uh, just want to say that whether you're gay or you're straight, whatever your gender identity, whatever your race or ethnicity, whatever your education background or your social class or um, your theological thinking or whether you believe in something spiritual or you don't, and we just want to say you're really welcome to here to be, be who you are right now. And um, it's really important to us that we feel free to um, to be honest about what we think. And so um, we invite you to kind of just bring your whole self today to, to this time if you want to. So as part of our regular gatherings, whether we're in person or however we do this, we have something that we like to call the question for sharing. And that is just a moment for us to kind of hear a little bit from each other. You know, if we're in person, we'll lean over and talk to our neighbor. Um, and online, uh, if you're on Facebook Live or on YouTube, you can type your answer into, into the chat. So the question for today, and I'm going to put this out to the folks that are on the Zoom. Um, what are you hoping for this summer? I wonder if any of you have a have an answer. I want to go in the sea. I'm desperate for the sea. That's oh. my plan for the summer. I don't care if it's in England, I'll be fine. I just want to be in the water. I want to visit London. I was supposed to go a couple weeks ago with my flatmate and it ended up not happening. So I really want to visit London with, with a guy, not by myself. <laughs> Anyone else? I'm hoping for fine weather because a lot of things that I do when I meet people outside is uh, in a public park, uh, a lovely little, with a lovely little barge called the Floating Front Room. And um, 
it's just nicer to meet be meeting people and and gathering when you haven't all got umbrellas and it's pouring down with rain which it sometimes is in a british summer yes that's very true i was thinking i'm hoping for uh well right now uh the methodist conference is going on and there's some really big decisions being made and one of them is about um being able to perform uh Marriage, same-sex marriages in in church, and so um, I'm hoping and praying for for a good decision there, because uh, it would be lovely to be able to celebrate those in our in our church building quite soon. I'd be quite excited about that. So that's what I'm hoping for today. I'm praying for. Yeah. Hi, I'm Faith, and today I'm going to be reading from uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is one of the four books that are. Uh, the stories about Jesus's life and among his disciples. And this is uh, from Luke chapter seven, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood st still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Um, now, a few of us are going to read a prayer that was written by Nadia Boltz Weber in, in response to that passage. Um, I see this as a prayer of hope, and in a lot of ways, it shares about half of what I want to say later on when I do the proper reflection. Um, but I'm going to start off by reading the first chunk, and then a few of us are going to read. God of compassion, as you did in name, enter our city, city gates. Enter into the somber roads down which our hearses drive and the glad streets down which our children run. Step into the spaces we, set, we, we feel your awesomeness and the places where we claim your forsakenness. Enter our city gates, God of compassion, as you did the city of name and bless, bless the things we mistakenly think are already dead. Bless that which we have already begun to carry out of town to bury. Bless our rocky marriages and the college-aged kids who smoke too much pot. Bless the person at work for whom we love to hate. Bless the chronically sick. Bless the ones who have no one. Bless what we call insignificant and which, we, which you call magnificent. Bless it all and love what only you can love the ugly, abandoned and unsanitary in the wash of humanity upon which you have nothing but a gleaming compassion when we have none. God of compassion, who saw the widow of name, we thank you for seeing us, for seeing our loneliness and our bravery, for seeing the times we can't say what we need to, for seeing the ones who have never felt like they are enough, but whom you know already are and always have been for seeing the moments when we are more than we thought we could be, for seeing what no one else can or will. Thank you for seeing as beautiful what we call ugly. 
In your compassion, teach us to see each other. Reach out and raise us, God of compassion. Touch us as you did the wood on which the widow's son lay and speak those same words to us. Young man, arise, little girl, get up. To we who think we are not worthy to be loved and medicate ourselves with food and booze and shopping. Say, rise up to we who have been hurt by those who say they follow you. Say, rise up. To those who feel unworthy of forgiveness, say, rise up. To the ones who care for the least of these and who feel too burnt out to keep going, say, rise up. To we who are holding on to resentments like a security blanket, say, rise up. To those who hide their failings behind their good works, say, rise up. To the unloved child who has no idea that one day they will change the world, say, rise up. And when again, God of compassion, you have raised the dead, when again you have made us whole, that which is broken, when again you have reached into the graves we dig ourselves and loved us back to life, don't stop there. Like the young man of Nain, help us to sit up and speak. Give us the words that are not empty affirmation, but give us strong words as real as this very soil from which you raised us. Give us the words, Lord, but also give us the pause before the words, please. And then, as you did the son of his mother, give us one to another. Make us one in this fractured world and help us to know that when we do not have enough compassion for the road ahead, that you do, and that is enough. Amen. Thanks everyone. It was a bit of an epic reading, but when I came across it, I thought it was just so perfect for today for talking about hope. And um, you might think like, you know, talking about the dead being raised, like why pick why pick that story? Um, but what I love about the way that Nadia Boltz-Weber kind of relates to that passage in the prayer is that she brings out the, the nuance, the bittersweet nature, the, the not all is right with the world. I think sometimes these kind of stories about Jesus raising folks from the dead can feel a bit like, well, that, that's the answer to suffering, isn't it? It's um, Jesus is going to just get me out of it. And um, make everything okay when so rarely in life is that is that the case you know we we that the the child that was raised from the dead still went on to die one day um the mother still had suffering in her life and i love how nadia boltz weber brings out the elements of um you know that those things coexist those miraculous life-giving moments where um god maybe steps in and does something that's unique or special those coexist alongside the everyday moments of pain and suffering in life so I wanted to share a little bit of part of my story um I I've shared I guess lots of us have we all have different uh parts of our story and I'm not sure that I've shared this one exactly like this here before 
Um, but when I, I first moved to England, it was in 1999 to get married to Joel. And I didn't, I didn't know hardly anyone. And um, previously I'd had a pretty, not easy life, but not, you know, like a fairly, fairly nice life. And I'd had hard things happen, but um, I'd been really aware of God's presence with me, particularly over those last number of years and felt really sure um, that God was bringing me here to marry Joel and that this was the path that I was supposed to be on in terms of my life and my work. And um, when I got here, it, I, I think I thought this was like the culmination. Like if you, if you're obedient to what you think God wants you to do, then that's your way to avoid suffering. And what I, what I wasn't expecting was um, my first real major bout with depression. And it's hard to say what caused that. It could have been like a combination of things like culture stress or some of the griefs that had happened in the previous years. But um, if you've experienced depression, you, you kind of know that there's there's a, some there's a deeper kind of level of it's more than just sad. There's something kind of physical that's going on within. And for me, um, I was really um, angry with God about that, and and, and there, it also kind of accompanied some physical pain. And um, it took a good year and a half for that depression to start to lift. And it was during a time in my life when I was supposed to be really happy. You know, I was getting married, I starting a new life and, and, um, and I wasn't, and I didn't feel like I could be myself. And there was all sorts of other things that were going on that were felt like constraining who I was and who I was meant to be. And um, even as the, the depression started to lift, um, I, I realized I was angry with God and I had st stuff to work out with God. Um, Prior to that, I'd had hard things happen. And there were times when I was very sad, but it was nothing like this. And so um, I, I kind of came to the realization that, you know, when I when I become a Christian, that I don't know if anybody's seen those kind of famous tracks that say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And I think I really took that to heart. And I, I think what I took it to mean was, if I do the right things, then my life will be wonderful. And um, and when that didn't happen in the way that I was expecting, it was really crushing for me. And I had a lot to work through. I think in reality, like, you know, those of us who come from, you know, I can speak for myself, like a middle-class Western um, Christianity where, you know, the, the hard things that happened, that happened were just normal, painful life things. They weren't things like experiencing poverty or um, hunger or death, I, I hadn't really come into contact with something where um, there's nothing that I'd de done to become depressed. It wasn't anything, anything in my life that you could blame for it. It just, it just happened. And I couldn't reconcile that with a God that loved me. But at the same time, that forced me to really think about, okay, the world has not, the world has not changed. There's, you know, like there, there has always been suffering. There, there are people at every moment of every day that are in pain and, and suffering. And so what has changed? I, I don't know, it was, it was forcing me to kind of face the reality of the fact that I live, I live in a world where lots of people are in, are in pain. And if I believe that God cared about me and was involved in my life before, that hasn't 
that hasn't changed, but I had a lot more to wrestle with, if that makes sense. Um, so I guess what I mean, what I wanna think about is when we talk about hope and holding on to hope, are we talking about the kind of false hope that I perhaps believed in that if my if I do the right things or I pray the right way that my life will be smooth? Is that what we hope for? Or do we have a hope that's more rooted in reality? Are we willing to kind of grasp onto a more complex notion of hope and what it looks like to hope in God and to hope in one another? Um, there's a poem I wanna to read to you that is, it's a, it's a famous American poem by um, a black American author named Langston Hughes. And it's called A Dream Deferred. And it's um, based on this bit of Proverbs. The, the, pro the line from Proverbs is, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So this is the poem. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? And um, that was written about the black experience in like the 1920s in the US and um, you know, black people for many, many generations have had to grapple with what it means to believe in a God that allows suffering in pretty dramatic ways. And so I'm gonna just um, share a little clip now, bear with me, from um, our, a book club that a few of us were part of with Chinny McDonald, the author of God is Not a White Man, where um, she answers a question that was posed in the, in the book club about hope. And the question was something to the, to the effect of, um, so are you just saying that the hope that we long for is a hope in heaven one day that everything for black people right now is awful and that our only hope is after we die to go to someplace that's better. And um, I guess I'll just, I'll just leave you to listen to her response to that and some of the conversation that followed. It's just a few minutes. Yeah, like in a contrast, but um, in reading an early draft of the book, Oops, sorry. Robert Beckford kind of challenged me on that same point, which was that this idea of, you know, it's almost like this celebrated sense of, you know, life is terrible for black people in, in, in life, but it'll all be all right afterwards. Now, for me as a Christian, I have to, I have to hold on to this idea of the kingdom of God or something, as something better coming. And that's just for all of us, not just black people. But yeah, I do understand how the, the kind of, Christus Victor narrative, the suffering Christ as an enemy through which, um, uh, I guess the, the beautiful story of God is is told. It can be problematic, um, and in that kind of Black Death chapter, I talk about how you know various instances of Black suffering and death that then lead to something else. Um, so, for example, Emmett Till's murder when he was fourteen in nineteen something 1960 something and um, his mother used that um his death his brutal murder for looking at a white woman um to basically tell the story of what's happening to black people's bodies so she held held an open casket there's lots of media around it and so there was that story that, that was told so there was that positive thing that came out of that and um, horrible thing 
George Floyd is another example where, you know, it's, it's highly problematic to talk about him as a martyr or someone who laid down his life for the cause of racial justice. He did not. Um, he was brutally murdered by a white police officer. He didn't choose to. Nevertheless, um, you know, in the months in the months following his death, at least, there was um, what felt like a reckoning with racial justice, the likes of which I hadn't seen in all my life. Um, the problem is a year a year later, what difference that made, I don't know yet. Um, but I understand how problematic it can be. But as a person of hope who tries to live in hope, I think that in that that when there are positive things that might follow, not to celebrate the negative thing that happened or the horrific thing that happened, but to but to recognise what 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 might have come afterwards. But yeah, it's really, it's really tricky. Did um, Faith or Judith want to comment back on that before we move on to Martin? Um, I, I just thought your response about uh, Christian hope or your hope, I don't want to define that for you, but um, that's really resonant for me because I know, like as a privileged white person myself, I can kind of I don't know, collapse into, I need to do all these things right now, but if I can't, if I don't have like something to point toward, like in the Christian sense, the telos, you know, what we're moving toward, I just collapse. So I, I thought, thank you for mentioning that about hope. It's kind of that thing of like hope and justice. <laughs> I guess it's not, we don't just wait, wait for the end <laughs> to, for things to be made, made better, but, and, and we try to work towards, God's kingdom coming here now, recognizing where it it has not, um, but it is, yeah. Holding those two, two things in tension is not easy. So um, I thought that that was really powerful, and also just this idea of you don't have to wait. You know, you're talking about. I think you know Christians can often run into this. Um, I don't know binaries. I suppose it's the binaries that we need to disrupt. It's like. Uh, this world is terrible, so we wait till the next world and let's not care too much about now, or we care only about now and we don't recognize that there is some future hope. Um, and I think for me, the word that brings together some of what Ginny was saying around hope and justice is reconciliation. And um, for reconciliation, I think, is a really key word in the New Testament and actually throughout the, the scriptures but it brings nuance to our understanding of hope. It's not a sticky sweet kind of um, everything is perfect when you know it isn't kind of hope. It's about the journey toward hope um, that is filled with work and sometimes pain because loving people um, hurts. And you know maybe we need to say that more out loud that really loving people can really hurt. Um, so the word reconcile or reconciliation is used in the New Testament about 15 times. It's a compound word that means to exchange and the other. It has this sense of like exchanging places with someone else. And there's a writer that used this phrase, which I thought really, really helped me get a sense of it. It's, it says reconciliation has to do with God making us friends. It's not just about resolving a, a difficulty or finding forgiveness. It's a whole 
it's a spirituality. It's a practice of spirituality around what the Christian life can look like to be part of God's reconciling of the world. You know, for me, that is something I've hung on to in my faith is that um, it, there's a larger reconciliation that's going on. It's not just about where we go when we die. It's about we can be part of a reconciling healing work here in the world now. Um, and some of that that phrasing comes from um, a chapter chapter one of Colossians. And I'm just gonna read this little bit that's from the message. Um, the, the, if you read it like in the NIV, it talks about the, the reconciling of all things. But I think these words actually unpack it a little bit more. Uh, Jesus was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. So for me, that's that beautiful image that, um, you know, in the midst of suffering and in pain, uh, there's these little glimpses of hope, hope um, I, I know I, I go crazy with reading lots of quotes, but I'm going to read you another little quote from a, one of my favorite books, which is called Reconciling All Things by um, Katongale and Rice. And he talks about um, hope in this world and hope, what, hope, the role of hope in reconciliation. In a broken world, God is always planting seeds of hope, though often not in the places we expect or even desire. Reconciliation requires hope. But the ability to hope also requires training. Hurried attempts at success and reconciliation can mask a desire to short circuit the journey of reconciliation, revealing our inability to recognize and live with the signs of a new creation God gives. At the same time, it's easy to despair and give up hope in a broken world. The journey of reconciliation involves learning to see and embody signs of hope, as well as living, training to live with hopeful patience in the sluggish presence. And for me, like, I guess uh, what I wanna say is that there's these moments of pain that have probably defined a lot of what I'm like now. And um, I wouldn't wish to go through some of that again, but at the same time, I recognize that there is a redemptive element to things that have happened in my life. And um, what I wanna say clearly is like, we don't need to seek out pain. And that doesn't mean that pain is, is, is good, like an inherent good. It doesn't mean that, like I, I kind of reject the idea of, of that, but that there's something that can be redeemed from, from suffering and in our woundedness and things, you know, I know that the areas where I'm probably most sensitive and compassionate to other people and in giving hope to other people are the places where I've experienced wounding. And we can be we can be open to that. Um, some of us can be, not everybody. You know, we it's it's a growing learning process in, in life. Um, so anyway, I just I guess that's those are some of my thoughts today, kind of from my own experience. And there's far more to talk about. Um, and perhaps if you'd like to join us back um, at the end of this Zoom, we'll have we'll have some more time for conversation. I could read a few more things out to you from some of my favorite books. Um, but that that is kind of what I'm thinking that like a real true hope is not a hope in something that is a fantasy. It's a hope in recognizing that, it, that beauty 
and life can come up and grow up from amidst dark, hard places and pain. And even in, in a world that's filled with suffering, um, we can see those glimpses of in those seeds of God's hope sprouting. And often it's in each other and it's in our ability to love one another um, in difficult circumstances. And for me, that's like often how I've, how I've, you know, grown in my relationship with God and with other people is learning how to navigate that. Um, and I feel like it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey. Well, thanks everybody for, um, for joining us, whether you've been on the Zoom or online some other way. And so uh, also next week, we are going to be back in person at the church at Cars Lane and we'll be live streaming that. So we're trying to do, we're just trying a whole bunch of different things, but we don't want anyone to feel the pressure to meet in person if they're not yet feeling comfortable doing so. But we also want to make sure that when we meet in person, we're, we're being pretty um, conservative with how we do things. So we're keeping the same um, restrictions in place that we had last month. So social distancing, masks for those that are able to wear them, we're not serving food. Um, uh, but there will be an opportunity for folks to go to the pub afterwards for people that feel comfortable to do that. Um, but there'll be plenty of things online going on too, if, if you'd rather engage with that online. Uh, and we ask that folks that want to come in person register via Eventbrite and we'll, we'll share the link for that on our, um, on our Facebook page. Um, and so I think that's that's just about it. I think it would be really good to pray. I'm going to pray quickly for our friends that are at the Methodist Conference. And as I mentioned earlier, there's some really significant decisions being made, uh, particularly around um, marriage equality and, and um, marriages being able to be carried out within Methodist church buildings, as well as some um, some decisions around like anti-racism. So I'm just gonna pray a quick prayer for those decisions that are happening this week and hopefully we'll have some good reports to share with you next week. God, we pray for your blessing and your hand to be over those who are making decisions today, um, uh, this week at the conference. We pray for great um, building of relationships and consensus and for your spirit to be moving amongst your people. Uh, we pray for wisdom, we pray for compassion, we pray for love, and we thank you for those who have who have worked really hard for many, many, many years to push for change, and uh, we pray that your will be done. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to finish now with the, the blessing that we share every week. May we live fully, may we love wastefully, and may we have the courage to be all that God has created us to be. So if you'd like to join us on Zoom, we're going to open up the room now and otherwise have a have a great week and we'll see you next week.